3: Zumo play. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey,
4: hey, hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, I guess. Uh, my name is Robert Lamb. It says it right here on the side of my uh, cryotank. Yeah, I'm um, Christian Sager. That's it, right? That was the
5: name I was using.
4: Yeah, that's what it says on your cryotank. Okay, uh, you All look right. like Christian. Here we are. Where Where are we? Let me check uh, the readout here. Okay, good. We're uh, we should be. We should have arrived at uh, the Medusa Nebula, which is where we set out uh, for. Uh, oh, what, right. Was okay, two thousand years ago. Yeah, I'm remembering this now. It was fifteen hundred light years. So, we were we've been alive for almost two thousand years. Well, something like alive. We've been uh, suspended uh, in a state of suspended animation in these tanks. Uh, perhaps even before the the ship set out so maybe it's more than 2000 years cuz it took Ugh. us around 2000 years for this ship to reach the medusa nebula yeah. and before that i seem to remember we were frozen along with joe uh, awaiting the joe. Uh, oh wait where is joe joe who's joe joe I, we had another podcast partner and it was his name was joe joe mccormick kind of, oh look it says it right here on this cryotank yeah. um, let's open this one as well it's just fingernails and hair huh there was more to him than that, as I recall. Okay.
5: Uh, um, well, I don't. I I don't recall a Joe, but um, <laughs> but you you know, I mean, we can always eat the fingernails and hair if there aren't any, you know, rations aboard this thing.
4: Oh, yeah. But if maybe we woke
5: sh- up early. should do it. You know, we do set out to do. Maybe maybe we should. Uh, look at this Medusa Nebula. Yeah, little yeah.
4: Little I, I, I'm I, remembering more and more now. Here. Yeah, Because this was the topic that made us decide to abandon the rest of, rest of our lives we and did, journey yeah. across the cosmos. Yeah. And, uh, well,
5: we, it's so hauntingly beautiful.
4: Of yeah. course you would just say, screw everything. Let's just do this. Yeah, it's one thing to see these wonderful NASA images of the, the nebula, we wanted to get up close and personal and use these special fancy goggles to look at it from within the nebula itself. And like the monster from which it
5: is named, once you look at it, you then die.
4: Maybe that's what happened to Joe. It could be.
5: Maybe Joe turned
4: to stone. Yeah, maybe we got here early and he just woke up on time. So maybe it's way more than 2,000 years. All right, so let's let's refresh ourselves because it's been a while. I'm hazy on this whole thing.
5: So the Medusa Nebula, it's just very pretty... Nebula that we were able to, not we, you and I, but, uh, uh, in fact, the European Space Organization in, in 2015 were able to get some really beautiful shots of from Earth. They have uh, telescope centers in Chile that they use to do this. So, uh, I guess like I'll try to describe it. Uh, it's this gorgeous mass of colorful gases floating around in space. I mean, it's part of a galaxy. It's not even a full galaxy, but it's blues and yellows and reds and greens. And they're all kind of swirling around together. And they're these super hot, bright blue stars in the center of everything. Yeah. one in particular does
4: look like an eye.
5: Yeah. Yeah. I suspect that's where the idea for the whole Medusa thing came from. So it's so named because of the colorful gases uh, and it looks kind of like the Medusa monster, which, you know, we like monsters on the show. In fact, you've done work on the Medusa before, I believe. I have, yeah. You know, Two thousand years ago,
4: you did a video. I vaguely about remember that. So I'm sure those signals are bouncing around the cosmos. Maybe. Somewhere. Yeah, maybe they still have YouTube out here, uh, but they uh there's. They look like
5: snakes, right? Like these these tendrils of gases look like different types of snakes. They are referred to as serpentine filaments, uh, and each type of uh, e- elemental gas uh, produces a different color, right? So those reds those are hydrogen. The greens are from oxygen, and the oxygen is particularly important uh, to this specific ne- nebula. And these are planetary nebula. We need to make that distinction. Um, but basically, this is the mass being ejected from a star nearby, and that's what's making these serpentine structures. so what what exactly is a planetary nebula?
4: Well, as I recall, as my uh as all my memories come back online here, uh, I recall that a planetary nebula's heart is a very old star in in terms of stellar age, so nothing compared to the 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 mere few thousand years that we're talking about with our journey here. yeah, this is a star this is a star's last phase before it transforms into a white dwarf, uh specifically a star that's between uh, one to eight times the size of our sun when it is born.
5: That's right, because we use our sun. As like a measurement system for all other stellar bodies, yeah. right? So anything that's like we use our sun's size and mass really, and uh, to determine stellar age and, and other you know
4: measurements. Typically, these nebula have a radius of one light year with a gas of about thirty percent of our sun. So this uh, wow. this phase of its life cycle is short compared to a star's life, but it's still thousands of years long. Yeah, I mean
5: it's uh right. Again, we're getting into that scale thing again, right? Like the tiniest of life that only lives for like a couple of uh human years mm-hmm. at the bottom of Earth's oceans, and then there's the Medusa Nebula that lives hundreds of thousands of of years. Uh and it's all because of gravity. Yeah. Uh, So gravity really uh, is pushing in on these stars and uh, on all stars and to keep them from collapsing on themselves. They maintain a high internal gas pressure by creating energy through nuclear fusion. You know, that's how stars work, Uh and it's of when all those available fuels run out, the star becomes unstable, and so it just starts shedding off all these different gaseous layers. That's what we're seeing here with the planetary nebula. This expansion is proportional to the distance from the central star, right? So the amount of gases, when we see them emanating outwards, they're all actually coming from one central star.
4: You know, any time that I've covered stars in the past, you know, the life cycle of stars, how they're born, how they die. I often think of it in terms of like a corporation or a business, you know, like they used to have an older, uh, back when we lived there. Um, where you, you see these, these just gi- gigantic uh, industries just building up power and energy and it reaches this point of just, uh, instability where things fall apart, things collapse, things explode, uh, just like you see with, uh, with various uh, businesses, uh, out there. And that's why these are so important to look
5: at, right? And, and it's probably how we got funding to, to fly out here anyways, is that, uh, we're basically talking about sun death here. Mm-hmm. And so by observing a planetary nebula, and the gases that come off of it and all the chemicals involved, we understand more about our own sun and its evolutionary process and what's going to happen to it and subsequently us.
4: Yeah, the sun business, star business is the business upon which uh, our planet depends.
5: Yeah, and to use your metaphor, it's kind of like uh, getting an MBA and
4: studying how corporations (laughs) fall apart so that you know when to jump ship. Right and you know of course you have to have the technology to jump ship and and maybe yeah. old earth has that maybe it's not even in the same place anymore yeah, Well they got us here yeah and And here's the thing. we estimated the distance to
5: this nebula by observing the measurements of about forty different objects within it. So there's that central star, but there's obviously other objects that are moving around. Uh, and these have to be objects that have favorable properties that we could have seen from earth uh, it's It's really difficult actually to see these things from Earth because they're all a variety of different shapes and masses, and they're all swirling around within this ionized gas. So they're not homogeneous. Uh and, and when I say they're not homogenous, I'm not just referring to the forty objects within the nebula. I'm referring to all planetary nebula. They're all completely different. Uh and that alone is kind of fascinating. So yeah, we learn from them, but what happens with our sun when it dies is gonna be different. So, okay, so once we figured out the distance, you know, we did all this math before we left Earth. We figured out the distance from our calculations. Then we found the size of the nebula. And we also figured out its age by dividing the speed of its expansion since the central star started ejecting
4: layers off. So as the star gets hotter, it sheds off layers of elements. Uh, and this is what forms the colorful clouds of gas uh, that uh, they're surrounded by for tens of thousands of years. That's also the reason why its glow is uh, ultraviolet radiation produced by the star's heat. It's constantly getting hotter and smaller. Uh, they're, they're between uh, 25,000 and 200,000 kelvins. And that's uh, essentially, what, uh, 44,500 degrees Fahrenheit to uh, 359,500 degrees Fahrenheit. So we've got a, a cozy ship that's uh, well protected
5: here from all the heat, right? Otherwise, oh, yeah. we would be uh, not even like marshmallows. We, we, we must be. We yeah. would be utterly incinerated. Uh, yeah, its maximum output is 10,000 times as luminous as our sun. So this is really what happens to, to, to stars of this type. They... Generate a, a, an intense amount of heat due to gravity. They get smaller and smaller as they shed off their gas uh, and just create a ton of heat and then eventually kind of, you know, uh, fade away.
4: Oh, hmm. well, I hope the ship can hold up to this heat. Uh, hmm. We'll have to look into that after after we've finished chatting. Here. Well, you know, let's see. So based on the math. We
5: estimate that these nebula are losing up to 1% of Earth's mass per day in gases. So uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me here as to how large it was when we left. But, you know, it's been almost 2,000 years, as we said. So a good amount of that is just floating around out here as gas now instead of just like, you know, super hot mass. Okay. Uh, and once it peaks, it eventually cools down. Maybe that's where we're at now. It takes 10,000 more years for the, that to happen, though. And then it eventually becomes that white dwarf star. And it's barely larger than Earth when it's at that size. Uh, and these white dwarves, they're super dense. Uh, so dense that thousands of kilograms are, are, fit into per cubic centimeters. That's a, that's in, intense. Uh, so not only do we have a, a ship that's really, you
4: know, well built for handling heat, but it's also, uh, taking on the pressure of all that density. You know, um, I'm also reminded that white dwarves are also known as degenerate dwarves. Oh, well, that sounds offensive. <laughs> <laughs> Are they gully dwarves? Gully?
5: What's gully? From D&D? Oh, I don't remember gully Do you remember gully dwarves in and Dungeons and Dragons? I wonder if uh, they still have Dungeons well, and Dragons on Earth. Gully dwarves were like these, uh, they were, they were dwarves that lived in the streets of, huh. uh, Dragonlance. Huh. Uh, I never encountered the gully dwarves. I, I never I'm knew. familiar with
4: the, the Durgar, the, the gray dwarves. Yeah,
5: they're related. Huh. Durgar live underground. Gully mm-hmm. dwarves were like,
4: uh, they're basically like, like homeless dwarves. Huh. Now, not to be confused with the Darrow, who are kind of homeless dwarves. Yeah, I believe they're different. Yeah. Uh, There's There's a lot of subspecies of dwarves, (laughs) not including the White Dwarf, which is a sun and not uh, a fantasy creature. Right. Though White Dwarf is a fantasy publication, or was... Uh, you know, two thousand years ago, about desktop, uh, a tabletop role playing games. Uh, so, miniatures. so many connections. <laughs> yeah, th- th- maybe that's really what our purpose here is to bring this information about dwarves yeah. and uh and fantasy games into the distant future. Well, like we've been saying, I guess it's too
5: late for it now. We've always been talking about doing a How Stuff Works Dungeons and Dragons table match where uh, we just record the whole experience, like a mashup of all the hosts from shows. Well, if but we I find think Joe, everybody else is probably dead yeah. other than Joe.
4: Well, yeah, if we can find Joe, maybe he's around the ship here somewhere. Hopefully. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples.
1: Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like?
4: Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to AstaproAllergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O Allergy.com. Astapro and go. this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
2: Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber. Live like a gigendian. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com/hypergig for details.
5: So, you know, what might have gotten him is the ultraviolet radiation, though, because Ooh. that is also pouring off of these stars uh, and they're super hot. They're emanating ultraviolet radiation. So the center of the nebula causes atoms in the outward moving gas to lose their electrons. And this is what creates the ionized gas. This is what makes it so difficult to see from Earth. Uh, originally, you know why they called them planetary nebula? I mean, they might even call them something different now. Uh, but it was because early astronomers, they didn't have like great telescopes. So they saw them as just like round balls in space and they were like, Oh, it looks kind of like Uranus and Neptune in the telescope. So, uh, yeah, planetary nebula. There you go. And, uh, you know, at least when we left her, if they were still calling them that. I don't know, I'd call it like a stellar nebula or something like that, right?
4: Yeah, I don't know. Of course, when we also left Earth, Uranus was still a funny word. I don't know if, if, yeah, if modern listeners anymore. out there will even find the humor in that. Gully dwarf nebula. Yeah. That's what I would call it. Mm-hmm. So a galaxy like the Milky Way is estimated to have several thousand planetary nebula uh, at any one time. And we think there are about 20,000 objects that we call planetary nebula in the Milky Way. But because of the dust around the galaxy, that makes them difficult to observe. So we've only cataloged about 1,800. Wow. So that's crazy to think about.
5: Like, we are in a huge system of a planetary nebula, but it is only one of 20,000 that's just in the Milky Way galaxy. Yeah. Wow. Life always finds a way. (laughs) Like I was saying, I mean, this provides us with a great opportunity to analyze a star that was once like our sun, right? We can study their chemical composition. We can understand how a star is formed. We look at elements like carbon and nitrogen, and we figure out the processes like nuclear fusion that are happening within the star's lifetime. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, we will learn more about how our sun will change and evolve and eventually envelop us in uh, colorful gases. Yeah. I mean, that's that's assuming if you and I get back.
4: Yeah, I mean, we're going to have to really figure out how to pilot this thing now because it's only mm-hmm. been on autopilot. Well, but. and, you know, once we go off air, we'll have to decide what we're going to
5: do about Joe. Like yeah. if we're going to bother looking, how long we're going to bother looking for him.
4: Well, yeah, we. I mean, you never leave a man behind, but I don't know what might have happened. Maybe he merged with Carney and they're one cybernetic organism now. Maybe he stepped out okay. through the airlock. Maybe he died of old age. You woke he clipped up all of his nails and shaved his hair <laughs> and then just walked right out the airlock. Maybe we're supposed to clone him? Maybe that's why he left it? Oh. He's like, please reclone me when that's, you wake well, up. Well, if
5: there's cloning services available on board here, I'm happy to do that and then we can just fly back home. Okay. So w- uh, where are we? Where is the Medusa Nebula? This thing, I mean, I know I said at the top, we flew 1500 light years away from Earth. We're in the direction of the Gemini constellation, right? In terms from Earth. So if you're on Earth, you stand up, you're outside at night, and you look up, you locate Orion. That's another constellation. Uh, Gemini is to the northeast of that, and it's between Taurus and Cancer. Uh, and it's best observed during February on Earth. In that month, you can look straight up around 10.30 p.m., and uh, the whole Gemini constellation should be directly overhead. So you, you'd be looking at us. If you can hear this, you'd mm-hmm. be looking at us.
4: Yes, I'm not sure if you'll see us and then of course you have to account for the uh, uh for the light uh, travel yeah. across That's true yeah you're mm. Well, yeah, actually, yeah, you might be looking at uh, something that happened way before we even got here. Yeah, we're going to wave anyway. When we get up to the viewing uh, deck, we'll wave. And maybe the telescopes are powerful enough for you to see us at this point. You'll definitely be able to find two stars
5: that make up Gemini. These are twins, Pollux and Castor. Uh, fun fact, Robert, on Earth, do you remember that expression by Gemini that so many people use? By Gemini, I think I do. It's actually a corrupted version of by Gemini which was used as an exclamation. Now that we're here, I think we should bring that back. Like,
4: where's Joe? By Gemini. All that's left here are his hair and fingernails. Yeah, let's bring it back. I mean we're we're it out here we're in a new civilization of uh, of humanity so we can just make up all the rules and the only reason we know any of this
5: stuff about the medusa nebula or at least what it looked like was because of a program that was going on on earth uh that was the european space organization they had it called the ESO cosmic gems program it sounds like a a fun cartoon show or something like that but yeah. it's actually an outreach initiative uh, to share the ESO's telescope findings. So the ESO is based out of Europe. It's supported by 16 different countries, not including the USA. Uh, and Chile, the country of Chile, hosts... Uh, their telescopic observatories. There's three there, and they're currently working, or I guess not now, it must be built, but they were working on the European, this is a great name for a telescope, the European Extremely Large Telescope, <laughs> uh, which they gave the acronym E-ELT, uh, and it was 39 meters, uh, I believe in diameter, and, uh, was purportedly going to be the world's biggest eye on the sky. So that's important, right? Because it was on the sky, it
4: wasn't in the sky. I believe the James Webb telescope being produced by NASA was going to be larger than that. So the main mission here was created in in a 1962 convention to provide state-of-the-art research facilities for astronomers and astrophysicists. And they have an annual contribution budget uh, from their countries of uh, 140 million euros. Uh, The headquarters themselves are near Munich in Germany, but the telescopes... Are in Chile. So what's so special about the Medusa Nebula? Like, why did we bother to come
5: here and not to the other, you know, 20,000, some odd nebula that are out there?
4: Hmm. Well, I mean, it looks like Medusa, sort of. It's, it's pretty, oh, that's right. We yeah. like monsters. Yeah. Okay, that's a good reason. Um, yeah, I, I, I hope we had some better reasons for for that maybe we've uh we've forgotten something important maybe we, we you know we robbed a convenience store or something
5: let me look at my notes here um it says here that uh it the 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 more generic name for this was abel 21 uh because it was discovered by an american astronomer named george o abel in 1955 and uh, they actually didn't even realize that it was a, a planetary nebula until the 70s, because when they were looking at it, they thought, oh, this must be the remnants of a supernova nova explosion mm-hmm. um, because it had all the, the properties of the cloud. Then they figured out, oh, that's a nebula. Uh, and so astronomers today, what they do, well, I guess it's not today. It, w- it would have been 2000 years ago. <laughs> uh astronomers apply various filters to telescopes so they can isolate the radiation from the gases that they see uh because the the nebula specifically the medusa nebula is actually quite dim in comparison to other nebula
4: yeah, I think that's one of the reasons we decided to go to it, because it's, it's not as bright, it's a little more, Yeah, uh, it's probably cooler. Yeah, cooler. Yeah, less people know about it. Uh, it is only four light years across, only. Only, <laughs> <laughs>
5: only four light years across. So, think about that. I mean, like, uh, the gas expands to quite a huge distance compared to actually the size of the star itself.
4: Yeah, it's, it's, as far as human perceptions of these things, it's a fairly large region of space. I mean, and then of course, as far as space goes, it's not big at all.
1: And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions
2: apply. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills.
1: Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel.
5: And an important thing, like if if uh, you're back on Earth, mate, you probably have better pictures by now. But uh, those photos uh, and, you know, I'm assuming if this goes up as a podcast and we still use thumbnail images like mm-hmm. we used to, we'll use this image of the Medusa Nebula from uh, the ESO. But um, if you're looking at that image, you'd think, oh, the star in the center, the one that's glowing the brightest, that's got to be the stellar core that's giving off all these gases. It's actually not. It's actually dimmer. It's a blue star that's just off center of this crescent gas. Shape. Uh, and in the right hand part of the image, there's a dimmer blue star that's just off center of the crescent shape. And that is it. That's the one that's giving off all the gas. Uh, and this is my favorite part, uh, the double ionized oxygen part. So the reason why this one in particular has these weird greens, which is why I imagined Medusa came into play. Yeah. Here.
4: Serpentine green snakes. Yeah.
5: Uh, it's because the radiation combines with the gas uh, and actually scientists thought they'd found a new element. They called it nebulum, nebuleum. <laughs> I think what we're learning from this is that uh, astronomers in the late 20th century weren't that creative when it came to coming up with names for things. Uh, but it's symbolized double oxygen, double ionized oxygen is symbolized by within brackets, the letter O followed by three Roman numeral ones. Uh so it it looks kind of like 0111 okay. or something like that. Yeah, 03 yeah. 03. Yeah. Uh and it's uh th- that's how we're basically able to spot this so easily. Like I said, it's fairly dim nebula, but the greens were really standing out. So uh they they basically realized, okay, this is a radiation wavelength that's not a new element. They put those filters on and then they could see it much better.
4: And indeed, I look forward to looking at it through our special goggles that will allow us to uh to see these uh these details from the right here
5: out. on site when we're just surrounded by a, a Four light year, uh, across entity that's everywhere, really. It's kind of hard to see the colors. Uh, but we, we brought these, these great goggles. Yeah, yeah. They're really yeah. nice. Yeah, so. Much better be than Google Glass turned out to be.
4: Yeah, I mean, unless it—I mean—it had two thousand additional years to get awesome, so maybe it did. Google Glass two thousand. You know, we mentioned earlier that uh, the nebula that we now inhabit uh, was uh, discovered by American astronomer George O. Bell in 1955. I was actually researching him a little bit. Uh, he was a, a noted uh, skeptic in the day and involved in Is that uh, right? Skeptic uh, interest, uh, you know, taking taking down magicians and and uh, and uh, and fraudulent uh you know hypnotist and the like
5: oh well maybe he would have been a fan of our uh sister show stuff they don't want you to know uh where they you know explore that that type of stuff yeah uh, yeah like i bet chemtrails. he would trails i bet he'd be really big on chemtrails <laughs> um okay so this thing's expanding pretty quickly so we need to get our work done and then get out of here right uh the the Medusa Nebula, we knew this before we even got here because of the, all the measurements that I mentioned earlier. It expands at a rate of 50 kilometers a second. So that gas is just constantly pouring out of that central stellar area. Uh, and it's much lower than that is actually expected for most supernova remnants. Uh, well, Well, what they thought was a supernova remnant. Uh, and it's how they figured out that it was a nebula. In fact, a typical planetary nebula expands somewhere between 24 to 56 kilometers a second. So around an average of 30 kilometers per second. That's, that's nuts to me, especially when you compare that, that this huge system, right, that's floating around out in space. And then we go back to what we talked about earlier this week, the Osadax worm down to one centimeter. And they're, they're both, Kind of beautiful in their own way, depending on the scale, also kind of terrifying and monstrous, uh,
4: depending on the scale at which you're looking at them at. Yeah, indeed. And also ephemeral, depending on when you're looking at mm-hmm. them, whether you're looking at the the life uh, uh, cycle of a planetary nebula versus the life cycle of a, of a whale fall.
5: Who knows? Maybe maybe like an Osadax worm, the Medusa Nebula has tiny little male versions of itself, hundreds of them inside it. Those might be coming to devour us right now.
4: One can only wonder. Hey, let's go ahead and put these goggles on and head upstairs. Now we're not going to, we're, I think we're going to run out of, uh, out of time uh, to record anymore. So we're not going to be able to really share what we see. I'm sure it's going to be wonderful. Otherwise, this whole trip was kind of a bust. Yeah. But, uh, but maybe everyone would like to chime in on what they think we'll see. What would you see if you took a 2000 year journey out to a planetary nebula and attempted to look Outward from its center. Yeah, let us
5: know, uh, I guess, I, maybe these are still platforms. I mean, they were popular at the time. Mm-hmm. Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. Tumblr's probably not around
4: anymore. Well, let's hope. Let's hope it's yeah. still around. It may be the only thing that's around. It, it, yeah, maybe it's, to just old earth Tumblr. And it's just Tumblr. And I don't even mean humans anymore. There's only Tumblr. Well, write us, if you can, write us on those platforms.
5: But I bet, I bet this one's still up there. L- uh, email. Uh, that was a thing when we left. Write us to our email address at BlowTheMind at HowStuffWorks.com.
3: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.